0: Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors and you, our listeners, ask the questions. I'm Tavia Kowalchuk, and today we're talking about a book that's set in Brooklyn, which made me think of the seminal Brooklyn novel, Motherless Brooklyn by Jonathan Lethem. So I love that book, obviously, but I also have read some books by Paul Oster, which I think are set in Brooklyn, but I do not like Paul Auster. <laughs> I'm Eliza Rosenberry.
1: I almost put down both of those authors for my Brooklyn novel discussion. Not surprised. They're quintessential yeah, for the area, My right? favorite Jonathan Lethem novel is not set in Brooklyn. It's set in Manhattan. So I figured I would not bring Ah. up. The novel that I wanted to bring up that is set at least partially in Brooklyn is one of my all-time favorite books, which is The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon.
0: I know. I love The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Love, love, love that book. On today's show, a gripping and psychological thriller about the gentrification of a neighborhood in Brooklyn and the journey of the people who are being unwillingly and eerily forced out of the place they have always called home. Today we are talking about the life of a woman whose neighborhood and world is being turned upside down due to oppression. Alyssa Cole is here today to chat with us about her New York Times bestselling thriller, When No One Is Watching.
1: We are so thankful for you, our loyal listeners. Please share our show with a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We read all of our reviews and we really appreciate you sharing the love. And a shout out to our listener, Mindy. Her handle is at minsta books for her review of the podcast. She writes, this is the first and only podcast that I have listened to. Eliza and Tavia have each episode divided into personal discussion, discussion with the author, and then a little audio sampler, great books, great vibes. They have become my walking buddies to help the miles go by. Aw, thank you, Mindy. We're so appreciative of
0: you. Thanks, Mindy. And props on the walking. Keep that up. I have been a total couch potato during the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. And now we present to you, when no one is watching, Abridged. Rear Window meets Get
1: Out in this gripping thriller from a critically acclaimed New York Times notable author, Alyssa Cole, in which the gentrification of a Brooklyn neighborhood takes on sinister new meaning. Sydney Green is a Brooklyn, New York, born and raised African-American woman. But now her beloved Brooklyn neighborhood seems to change every time she blinks. Condos are sprouting up like weeds, for sale signs are popping up overnight, and the neighbors she's known all her life are disappearing. Though that's not all, through all the disturbances she's experiencing from the corner bodega being quote unquote sold and taken over by a new owner quite literally overnight, Sydney is harboring her own secret that has her unraveling. To hold on to her Black community's past and present, Sydney channels her frustration into a walking tour and finds an unlikely and unwanted assistant in one of the new arrivals on the block, her new white neighbor, Theo. But Sydney and Theo's deep dive into history quickly becomes a dizzying descent into paranoia and fear. Their neighbors may not have moved to the suburbs after all, and the push to revitalize the community may be more deadly than advertised.
0: What did you think of this book, Tavia? I thought this was a great read. I really liked this book. Just to start with one of the things that I loved about it the most, the Brooklyn setting. It just, you know, being a New Yorker, even though I don't live in Brooklyn, it just felt so familiar. And all of the sort of creepy racism aside, Being in a neighborhood and knowing the people who live nearby you, for me, it's like the people in my apartment building. I just really like that part of it. It felt really good to read about that kind of a neighborhood.
1: Yeah, I really recognized Brooklyn in this book. And I don't live in Brooklyn anymore, but I did for a really long time. And I think we all know the sort of signs of gentrification that Alyssa depicts in the book. Overnight, the bodega goes from the corner store that has a cat to, like, a modern coffee shop with the same sort of look that you would find in any other neighborhood. And it was just so sharp in this book. It was so perfectly rendered. She did such a great job.
0: For sure. And speaking of perfectly rendered, the final scenes of this book were amazing. It doesn't turn on a dime, but it definitely like this sort of slow simmer of creepiness all of a sudden just like goes, poof, comes to a boil. And it was like a truly like a horror novel caliber creepy. And I don't want to give it away, but it was so good at the end. <laughs> it did sort of take a horror
1: twist at the end, for sure. You're so right. I felt like the tension in this book really builds in a really sort of almost excruciating way. Like you're just like, oh my God, what's going to happen? It was such a thrill to read. And it sort of reminded me, not in the horror nature of it, but sort of the way that the suspense and the tension build sort of reminds me of like some of the great psychological thrillers, like Woman in the Window or My Sister the
0: Serial Killer, which I highly recommend. And this is also the perfect book club book because you're totally absorbed. You definitely want to read it. You're going to finish it for book club. And so there's this whole like plot level that keeps you as a reader, like going forward. But then there's so many issues just like dug into this book, gentrification, race, the, you know, the sort of buried hidden forgotten history of race in America. And that scene when the bodega disappeared overnight, I mean, that like was a gut punch. There's a reason that these things happen
1: behind the scenes, right? There's a reason that these changes are made invisible to us because the people who profit from these kinds of changes don't want it out in the public, the way that they're facilitating the gentrification in a neighborhood and how much they're profiting from it makes me think of just the history of redlining in this country and like how there have always been policies and practices in place when it comes to like real estate even I mean, real estate is difficult having just bought a house. Real estate is like really complicated, but there have always been these practices that have racism embedded in them. And it's on purpose that that's hard to see. And what I appreciated about Alyssa's book is that she really dug into some of that stuff and made it sort of impossible for the reader to not
0: acknowledge. 100%, I totally agree. And like the best historical fiction writers, she weaves in this history of these racial issues in her neighborhood and in real estate in a way that you don't realize that you're learning, right? It's just part of the story and she doesn't linger on it for too long. So it do- never becomes pedantic. She's, it's very yeah, well done. I'm so, so excited to have her here. Oh my God. Can't wait. Can't wait. Do you know she also writes romances? Jack of all trades. She can really do everything. I know. All right. Well, cheers Cheers. to this multi-talented author.
2: Cheers.
0: (laughs) Quick reminder. We love hearing from you. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can stay connected with other book lovers and pose your own questions to the authors who appear on our show. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash The Book Club Girls. And stay tuned after the show for a short exclusive sample from the audiobook of When No One Is Watching.
1: Today, we're joined by Alyssa Cole, whose book, When No One Is Watching,
0: is out now. Alyssa, we are so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Yes, thank you so much for having me.
0: So, Eliza and I had this really exciting conversation. We were both totally pumped about this book earlier, and we pointed out that When No One Is Watching is not your average thriller, I thought it had horror vibes, and it definitely had me on the edge of my seat. And I need to know, like, what inspired you to write this book?
3: I had been wanting to write a gentrification story for years now. It was something that I had experienced. I was living in Brooklyn and was seeing it going on, but also my family living in New Jersey. When I would go back to visit my family, that neighborhood was changing, too. It was basically becoming Brooklyn, where I was living. So... (laughs) I guess it was basically the combination of wanting to write gentrification, having been doing years and years of historical research for various books and kind of seeing the really ugly sides of American history. So with When No One Is Watching, I got to really take these ideas that I had been turning over in my head for years and kind of find the best way to bring them all together using the books. And I also don't know if I would have been able to write it before because it was really the accumulation of years of research and also kind of the years of just seeing what was going on in the United States now in the present.
0: It definitely felt so, so of the moment and so current and so relevant when I was reading it. And One of the things I remarked to Eliza that I think you did really well was that history that you so clearly researched and like it was so specific that it had to have been true. You wove it in in such a way that I knew that it was true, but it also didn't feel like I was reading a history book. Like it really felt like I was discovering this along with the characters and was able to share in their horror and disgust and sort of putting it all together until we get to the very, very scary
3: ending. One of the things I do enjoy, or I guess one of the things I think about is like often, first of all, we weren't taught so much of actual American history We had pretty standardized textbooks in school. And even over the years, those have been teaching less and less of American history. And in part, because that is also extremely relevant to what's going on right now. Like Sydney in the book, sneaking in history, (laughs) sneaking in history into things where people don't expect it can be fun. So I want to
1: ask for all of our New Yorker listeners, I'm curious, the neighborhood that you depict in the book feels so real and vivid. And I was wondering if there was a specific neighborhood in Brooklyn that you based Gifford Place on.
3: The neighborhood, but not the people, uh, were based on where I last lived in Brooklyn. So Gifford Place is an imaginary neighborhood and the kind of the things in the neighborhood are imaginary. It's basically in the Crown Heights, Bed-Stuy border area. I didn't realize until after I moved that the Weeksville Center was there. And that's like one of those things, too. Like I lived right next to this really important historical marker and people had been living there for years before it was even discovered without knowing that this part of history was there. So I kind of wanted to incorporate that into the story, too.
1: You're listening to the Book Club Girl podcast, where our guest this week is Alyssa Cole, whose book, When No One Is Watching, is out now. You can read more about this book at bookclubgirl.com
0: podcast. Coming up on the Book Club Girl podcast, Alyssa answers more questions about the characters in her thrilling novel, and later in the show, we ask her about her literary white whale. So stick around.
1: This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by The Anatomy of Desire by author L.R. Dorn. Written like a podcast docu-series script, this novel is about a fitness influencer caught in a love triangle and then accused of murder. The Anatomy of Desire is on sale now. We also wanted to turn you on to one of our podcast pals, Friends and Fiction. Friends and Fiction is a live web show and podcast hosted by best-selling authors Mary Kay Andrews, Mary Alice Monroe, Patty Callahan Henry, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Kristen Harmel. They gather for a warm and engaging weekly chat to discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and their shared love of independent bookstores. They host fabulous authors for in-depth discussions about their writing careers and their latest books. Tune in for the weekly web show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Watch via Facebook Live on the Friends in Fiction Facebook group page or on the Friends in Fiction YouTube channel. And their original podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms.
0: I love Friends in Fiction. They're so much fun. Yeah, it's such a great group chat. Authors talking to authors. I mean, what's better than that? Welcome back to the show. This episode, we're speaking with Alyssa Cole, author of When No One Is Watching. So once we are deeper into the novel... It's apparent that oppression, white supremacy, gentrification are all occurring in this big awful swirl and the old time residents of the neighborhood begin disappearing and the neighborhood seems to be like there's an enemy invasion and is being taken over. Can you talk more about those themes and the importance that they play in your novel?
3: So it is marketed as, you know, get out meets uh, your window, but I did want to kind of pull in the horror element. So there's the invasion of the body snatchers aspect, but also the zombie movie aspect. invasion of the body snatchers in that, in this familiar place, people you know can just be replaced by people who look like them or who ostensibly belong to the neighborhood, but are not quite the same as the people who were there before. But for the zombie movie aspect, the horror and fear of everything that is familiar and comfortable to you changing suddenly and actually becoming a danger to you. And you're not being sure who is dangerous, who is not dangerous, or at what instant something that was familiar could suddenly, you know, be trying to kill you. So I think for that, I really did try to lean into that sense of destabilization that is often a part of horror movies where you start with this. Yes, it doesn't necessarily have to be like ideal or idyllic, but someplace that is very familiar to the protagonist and then either slowly or quickly, everything that is familiar gets turned upside down and how that can be extremely disorienting it can be a mundane kind of horror where you're like, okay, this thing is always here and now it's not here. And I actually don't know what to do just for a second and even just on a small scale. And then just kind of blowing that sensation and that moment of anxiety up to like, you know, your coffee cup is missing to, okay, your neighbor, (laughs) your favorite store, your, the building. Yeah. Oh God, that garden scene broke my heart. And that was actually based on real things that have happened. I think some of the things that even seem like they are like the exaggeration or trying to magnify the situation, like pretty much has a basis in something that is real or after it was done, I saw something similar.
1: So I actually wanted to ask you about that garden scene with such a tense and like anxiety inducing scene. And you're just like, It's so emotional because, you know, again, not to give anything away, but it's so emotional for Sydney what happens. And basically, for listeners who haven't read, her mother's garden is being taken over by these white men who have come in and claim that they have documentation that they now own the property and the police are involved. And I just felt so, you know, you just feel so much for Sydney in that scene because there is these explicit but also implicit power dynamics that are sort of on display. So I was curious if you could talk a little bit about that scene and what you drew on in in crafting it.
3: Again, it was based on, you know, real situations that have happened and that are pretty foundational because this book is also about generational wealth, whether that is the homes that people own or this garden, which is like a kind of wealth of joy, even if they're not using it to build another building on and make money from it. It's this community center, in a way, or a heart of their neighborhood. When you look at the many ways in which gentrification happens, there are, of course, really big, blatant things. One thing that happened all across the country and is still going on in many communities is in a lot of Black communities, the banks and other governmental organizations didn't particularly care about taking care of leases, deeds, and other documents that really prove ownership. And often didn't do it because, you know, they didn't particularly want people to have claims of ownership. But for the garden scene, it kind of represents the literal stripping of generational wealth from Black communities. But it is also just based on real things that happen where people can own homes or land for years and then other people can say, oh, actually, we have the actual documentation here. It looks legit. It's gone through some bureaucratic process or at least looks like it has. So we actually have the claim to this. And it's pretty hard to fight that because if someone is just flat out lying and trying to prove you wrong, you are already starting off at a deficit. Interesting. I'm glad we're
0: turning to this next question. Sydney's neighbor turned love interest, Theo, is a a white guy and his current relationship with his Lululemon type girlfriend is ending slowly but surely and i can't help but feel like he dodged a major bullet there what made you decide to make sydney's love interest a white male and tell part of the story from his perspective
3: um well i think part of that is coming from romance and enjoying the dual perspective showing both sides so even if we have unreliable narrators i mean every narrator is unreliable particularly for this kind of story, seeing the viewpoint of someone who grew up in the neighborhood and has a really strong claim to the neighborhood, and then also seeing someone who has just moved in, who feels strongly about the neighborhood but does not have any tie to it, but also is kind of learning and seeing what impact his presence has on the neighborhood.
0: So I also spent a lot of time wondering, in addition to like why is Theo still with that white girl? But also I spent a lot of time wondering what happened to Sydney's mom specifically? And without giving anything away, what made you keep her mom's life a mystery from the readers for so
3: long? Well, I chose to do it in part because the book basically takes place over the course of a week. And over the course of the story, Sydney's mental health, which we learn at the beginning is already something she's had issues with. She's clearly going through something over the course of the book and trying to figure out whether what's going on is real. Is it not real? But also the other layer of that is the fact that the world in many ways gaslights people with mental illnesses, gaslights Black women, gaslights Black communities. So kind of it was like this compounded thing. When I was writing her, I wanted her to be someone who has never really depended on herself before. She was depending on her mom's strength her best friend, strength. She got married and was depending on her husband. Not that she was weak or anything like that, but she was always comparing herself to her mom. I wanted us to get to know her mom through Sydney's point of view because her mom's presence in her life is one of the things that in her state in the book, she kind of feels like she's not living up to her mother's strength. So I wanted to mostly focus on the relationship from Sydney's point of view and how it shaped her book because she was able to depend on it. And then what happens when she's not able to depend on it.
1: Okay. So Alyssa, we could definitely talk to you forever about this book. I'd love to hear about what you're working on next. Would you be able to give us a sneak peek of what's coming next for you?
3: Well, the book that's coming out next is the second book and my Runaway Royals series, which is a spinoff of the Reluctant Royals series. It's basically the even more reluctant Royals. (laughs) And (laughs) (laughs) the first book is How to Catch a Queen. This book coming out is How to Find a Princess. How to Catch a Queen was a little bit heavier. How to Find a Princess is a bit more of a romp. It's a queer Anastasia-inspired royal romance with a woman named Makeda, who is a super healthy people pleaser, but she has one thing that she will not cave on, and that is her grandmother has told her and her mom that they're actually the result of a fling with a prince in exile, basically. Makeda's mom really started to pin her entire identity on this and kind of took all of the fun out of it. So Makeda wants nothing to do with princesses until the kingdom decides that they're going to start searching for the possible long lost heir.
0: I love the reluctant princess trope. I just love it. We have one more question for you, Alyssa. In each episode, we ask an author, what is your literary white whale? So a book that you've either always meant to read or one that you started and never finished. So what um, is your white whale? My
3: white whale is the Parable of the Sour by Octavia Butler, which I have literally been trying to read basically since it came out. Like my parents got it. But every time I started to read it, like it literally because I'm actually a chicken, like when I when <laughs> I come to reading. when I was a kid, I used to be more into horror. But that was actually probably the scariest thing I'd ever read. And this particular book just always causes this anxiety when I start to read it so I will finish it one day I have it in like literally every format <laughs> one day I will right now it's probably not when it's gonna happen
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa thank you so much for coming on the show we loved having you we love chatting with you
3: thank you thanks so much for having me I love chatting with you guys too
1: That was Alyssa Cole, whose suspenseful book, When No One Is Watching, is out now. To find out more about Alyssa's books and how to buy them, head to bookclubgirl.com slash podcasts, where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode. Like what you heard?
0: Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a rating and leave a review. We read all our reviews on the show. Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast, tell a friend. It really helps others to find us. You are going to hear from us again in two weeks when we have a really
1: exciting conversation. We're speaking with the one and only Neil Gaiman about his latest novel, The Ocean at the End of the Lane. You definitely don't want to miss this. Tavi and I were so excited to talk with Neil Gaiman. He's such a legend. So
0: definitely tune in. It was a total geek fest. <laughs> Please stay in touch with us between episodes. We're both on Instagram. Find us at Tommy Reads and at ElizaIsReading. And of course, at Book Club Girl. You can also join into our
1: next conversation. We're going to be speaking with Alison Galen, author of Never Look Back. You can email us, thegirls at bookclubgirl.com or post in the comments on our Facebook group or leave us a voicemail. Our number is
0: 212-207-7336. Before we go, a big thank you to our producer, Caroline Quash, who produced today's episode and our audio editor and engineer, Samantha Doyle, both of Hanger Studios and to Alyssa Cole for taking time to come on our show. Until next time, I'm Eliza. And I'm Tavia. Happy reading.
2: He holds the door open for me, but when I step inside, I'm disoriented. Everything is clean and bright instead of the comfortingly run down state the store had been in before. It looks like someone from some quick makeover reality show pulled an all nighter. The walls are white, the light fixtures are nicer, the shelves have been replaced, and apparently so has the stock. There's a fresh fruit and veggie section where the freezer full of ice cream had been. The shelves are clean enough to pass a white glove test and there's nary a Goya product in sight. The word organic is everywhere, and the hot food prep area is gone. Instead, there's a fridge with pre-made sandwiches, wraps, sushi, and quinoa salad. It even smells different, the greasy odor of the grill replaced by a new scent that's more like the lack of one. Abdul, this is wild, I say. Did you get a loan or something? but when my gaze searches around for the new placement of the cash register, Abdul isn't there waiting to call me Habibi and slip me a parliament. The guy behind the counter is slightly paler, with sandy brown hair and sharp brown eyes. Abdul had some issues with his papers, he says, then flashes me a smile. I'm Tony, the new owner. Nice to meet you. I'm looking forward to becoming a valued part of the Gifford Place community. What? You mean he's gone? but not forgotten, clearly, Tony says with a wink. I turn on my heels and head to the wine fridge, my head feeling fuzzy. Abdul is gone. Grill Man is gone. Just like that. I automatically reach for the wine I've been buying for months, but my hand closes around a tiny bottle of kombucha health drink. I stare at it, my sluggish brain trying to catch up with this latest change, but I feel a gaze drilling into my back. When I glance to my left, Tony is leaning all the way over the counter, watching me. Need help with anything? He asks. If you're looking for the 40s, we don't sell malt liquor anymore. I slam the fridge door a bit too hard and walk up to pay. You like kombucha? Theo asks. Tastes like vinegar. I ignore him and place the bottle on the counter. My skin is crawling. There's no lotto machine, no people standing around fantasizing about what they'll do with their mega millions when they win. No bins of cheap candy, no character, no Abdul. The panic starts to thrum in my chest again. That isn't covered by Wick, Tony says nicely as he scans my drink. I'm starting to understand that this is the same way Josie says nice things on our hood posts. It's a thin veneer that, if scratched away, would reveal some shit I'm definitely not in a state to handle right now.